the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome, everybody, to Southern California Live. This is our two of our Tuesday edition of SoCal Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. It's great to be with you today. And I hope that you're having a fine Tuesday afternoon, wherever you may be, driving down the freeway. Maybe you're listening in your car. Maybe you're still at work and uh, you're trying to wrap up your day uh, a lot of things going on today. Maybe you're at home. I'll bet that a lot of you are at home uh, because you got the COVID, right? It seems like uh, so many people have that going on right now. I hope that you are taking care of yourself and uh, doing well. You can give me a call and join our conversation at any time. 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557 is that number, 888-528-2557. And uh, I've got my coffee, and we're ready here for for hour number two on this fine uh, Taco Tuesday. I mentioned that in the last hour, how uh, I I tend to participate in Taco Tuesday. And somebody asked me if having burritos on Taco Tuesday uh, is some kind of violation, if you you haven't met your goal. Um, And I'll confess that happens, because the whole point of Taco Tuesday is the discounted tacos, right? You get, you know, it used to be like you get these $1 tacos, not anymore. But now the discounted taco, it might be three bucks. That's a pretty good deal for a pretty good uh, street taco. But if you go and you spend the $14 now for the burrito, um, maybe you should just go on Wednesday then. There's probably some kind of other deal going on. And uh, I got a question. Are there, do you ever have the enchiladas at your regular taco shops? Like when I go to a Mexican restaurant and I'll often, if it's a sit-down place, I might get enchiladas. It's a place I like to go. They've got, you know, I can get three in the same plate. They call it the trio. Um, and, uh, it's, there's a cheese one and there's a chicken one and there's a beef one, uh, shredded beef, ground beef. You can choose your beef and that's kind of nice. You can even choose the little sauces that they put on top and, uh, it's fantastic. It ends your day. There's nothing you can accomplish the rest of the day if you do that, but, uh, it's really good. But I, I've not had, I was thinking about this this morning, the enchiladas that I often see on the menu at the regular taco shops that I frequent. Are they good? I bet they're good. They're on the menu. And it's it's a rule. It's a rule for for going to to restaurants that if there's something on the menu, some places it's just sort of obligatory. All right, there are some breakfast places you go to, and there might be an obligatory T-bone steak on that menu. You probably don't want it. Um, but if you go to a restaurant where there's just something there, it might be really good. I went to this place in uh, Grants Pass, Oregon. You ever been to Grants Pass? You have to drive through there on your way to wherever. And uh, we stayed there one time. I don't know why they call it Grant's Pass. Is it Ulysses S. Grant? Did he uh, did he go through there at some point? Maybe he did. I don't know. Um, maybe a guy named you know Grant had something else going on in that town. Anyway, we were in that town, and for some reason we stayed there. And uh, there was this sort of fancy restaurant nearby, and so Christy and I went over there. And on the menu was meatloaf. And I've learned something, that if you go to a place and they've got meatloaf on the menu, or they've got something that you just wouldn't expect. Like how many places do you go anyway that has meatloaf on the menu? I don't know. Uh, this place had meatloaf, and it was expensive meatloaf. It was not cheap meatloaf. And I asked the uh, waitress, I said, do I want this? 
And she said, yes, you do. And so I ordered it, and she was right. Best meatloaf I've had in my life at a little restaurant in Grants Pass, Oregon. So the next time you just happen to be driving up there on the uh, the 5, you know, on your way to Medford or wherever, uh, check it out. Um, also something that you could try out is uh, mustard on your Oreos. I'm just saying. You, you wouldn't think so. You wouldn't think that that's something that uh, that you should do. Right, that doesn't cross your mind, but I'm telling you, it's like the same thing that happened when somebody dipped the chocolate in the peanut butter or the peanut butter in the chocolate or whichever direction that went. The Oreos and mustard. You know what I like about this and, and radio and talking about Oreos and mustard? Right now, right now, somebody is sitting at their desk and they got a pack of Oreos and they've got a mustard packet right in their desk and you're going to try it right now. And uh, you should film yourself doing that. And, uh, you know, give me a call. Tell me what you think. You know, just, and I'm, yeah, yellow mustard, yellow mustard on the Oreo. Just put it on there. Uh, I thought that, you know, this is what I'm going to bring this to the next church potluck. <clears throat> mustard. <laughs> In fact, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up the Oreo. I'm going to unscrew the Oreo. Just, yeah, just plain Oreos, just plain blue package, regular old, don't go for the double stuff, just plain Oreos, yellow French's mustard. I'm going to unscrew the Oreo and I'm going to put the mustard in the uh, right in the white stuff and I'm going to stir it up just a little bit in there and fluff it up so and then I'm going to decorate the plate just like uh, the ladies who do all of those uh, the deviled eggs. I mean, look at a deviled egg. You wouldn't re- eat that necessarily except they're fantastic. I'm just telling you, you never know. You never know what might be good. You're also, you also never know what you're going to learn on the show. And uh, there you go. So I've taught you something. If you are in the mood to go out and try it. Some of you have already left. You've already left to go down to the vending machine and you've pulled out those Oreos. You're ready to go. Trust me, it's a thing. 888-528-2557 is the phone number for Southern California Live. You can join our conversation at any time, not just to talk about Oreos, but maybe some more important things. And uh, one of the things I would like to cover this hour, I want to get into the news and some of the things going on. Uh, Crime is outrageous. And, you know, we did you actually pay attention to that whole scene there with the the trains, the Union Pacific trains being robbed and what a mess that was. Even the governor had to come down and said, what is going on here? And uh, some of us are like, well, you know, just just check the docket at Sacramento. It has something to do with uh, what we're doing in our cities. Uh, That's why everybody's leaving. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's remarkable that, uh, we're robbing trains today. I thought that was something that ended a long time ago. I guess it never occurred to me that, uh, there's a lot of train robberies going on and it was a mess. This is happening all the time. Are they doing it on horses? Do they have bandanas? I guess now maybe they do. Maybe it's a function of the mask because, uh, people just pull up their uh, bandana and they rob trains. Maybe it's just something that's, that's inherent in the whole, uh, the whole thing there. Uh, do you feel safe? Uh, do you feel safe in this town? What are some things that you think we could do better uh, when it comes to crime? What are some things that you would like to share about that? 888-528-2557. You can join our conversation. 888-528-2557. Uh, lots of things going on that are pretty, pretty difficult. Um, related to those things. The crime uh, issues of police, uh, Los Angeles Police Department says about 1,300 officers, I think they said today, that are out because of uh, COVID or calling in sick. 
and uh, it's pretty significant. Not, uh, 910, yeah, 1,300 employees in the LAPD, according to NBC, Los Angeles, are either recovering from COVID-19 or quarantining during uh, due to the exposure of the virus, uh, LAPD Chief Michael Moore said today. Uh, 910 new positive tests. Uh, that's a lot of police out, and that's just police. That's not uh, firefighters. That's not uh, other people who work as first responders in different areas. Uh, and it isn't just that. In San Diego, the police union today was sending out a distress call about how many police are just leaving the force uh, due to new regulations, due to uh, the attitude that uh, we've had about police now for a little while. We shouldn't be surprised, really, right? I mean, if everybody's attacking your entire profession, um, you're you're out. And it's not exactly a, a profession where uh, you're in safety all the time. Um a good friend of mine is a police chaplain, and uh, we talk about stuff all the time. And he he has these Bible studies for with cops, uh, and it's cops from all backgrounds and uh, every direction. And I'll tell you what, sitting in some of those Bible studies that I had before, you see a different uh, perspective. And they all talk about you know how many. I asked him one time. I said, "How many of you uh, have chased somebody on foot this week?" Every hand went up. Uh, that's the job that is going on there. And when you read the articles about violence in our city, there's a great article in the, uh, interesting article, I should say, in the LA Times today about violence in uh, a neighborhood in Pasadena, and it's terrible. Uh, they're asking for more police and more patrols. And for sure, there are issues of reform in our police departments that need to happen. And for sure, there are significant questions that we need to ask about prisons and how we do this and and this and that. But we seem to have moved as a culture to a place where we don't want to call crime crime. And uh, that's bad. That isn't something that's going to work. And I think what we're seeing is the result of that. What we're seeing is if we're not going to call crime crime and if we're going to blame uh, the innocent, okay, for what's going on, uh, Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon, um, in dealing with uh, Union Pacific Railroad and the crimes there with the railroad, you know, one of the things that he said in response to those crimes um, was that they need to do a better job of protecting their their rail yards, better locks on the stuff, and uh, better security, and they need to hire better security. There's probably some truth to that, but I think it goes another way. What what I'm concerned about is are we becoming a society where all of us are going to have to wear a gun on our hip? Are we becoming a society like many societies where everybody's got to hire their own armed guards? If you ever do a mission trip to uh, many countries, like especially in Central America or some other places, uh, and in the cities in particular, you'll notice that there are a lot of people hired outside of the businesses just to just to guard the business. There are people standing out there with their own personal weapons uh, to keep the criminals out. And it's in every single store, uh, you know, not just the jewelry store. You know, you'll see some guy at, uh, you know, Tiffany's at the mall guarding that place. I'm not really sure what he's going to do, but uh, it's probably some kind of deterrent. Uh, but a lot of these guys, it's not a deterrent. I mean, they're there and they're, they're loaded and ready. Don't come in here and cause problems, and it works. But is that the direction that we're going as a society? 888-LA-TALKS is the phone number, 888-528-2557. I want to know if you feel safe. I want to know uh, what you think we ought to do about the increase in crime, and in particular violent crime, uh, in our city and in our, our country today, 888 528 
seven. Uh, some other things in the news while we uh, circle, we'll circle back to that here in just a minute. Some other things in the news, Biden administration is withdrawing its COVID-19 vaccination. The Supremes uh, said no to it a couple weeks ago, right? And uh, today OSHA withdrew the requirement for vaccination and testing for large companies. So that's gone now. But the article says, according to CNN, OSHA said this, although OSHA is withdrawing the vaccination and testing uh, as an enforceable emergency temporary standard, the agency is not withdrawing the ETS uh, emergency temporary standard as a proposed rule. The agency is prioritizing its resources to focus on finalizing a permanent COVID-19 healthcare standard. Uh, that last line uh, intrigues me there, finalizing a permanent COVID-19 healthcare standard. I think everybody knows that we're moving into a different phase of all this, which is basically how do we live with it? How do we live with the COVID-19? Uh, OSHA is trying to come up with a permanent COVID-19 healthcare standard. I'm not sure how they're going to do that because they seem to keep changing the standard or the courts are throwing it out. But at some point, we are going to have to have that, right? At some point, this moves into what is the uh, endemic stage is what it's called. Uh, it's no longer a pandemic. It's endemic, um, which isn't necessarily good. Okay? Endemic means it's with us all the time now forever, that this is just something that we are going to have to live with. All right, when something is endemic, uh, that's what that means. And you, you try, you try and you hope for a long time. Uh, that you can have something that will go away. I think that that was part of, you know, some of the the idea with uh, the last two years and how we've tried to deal with this stuff for two years, by the way. Does that shock you? We've been talking about this for two years. I'm, I'm tired of talking about it. You know, I probably need to talk about it a little bit because I got the COVID uh, last week and uh, some different things. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think I really had anything that exciting about it. Uh, pretty much the regular thing that so many of you have gone through. But we're moving into a place where this becomes endemic, something we're going to have to live with, something where people are going to have to come to some kind of conclusion about what the right thing to do is um, with how to live with this new virus that will be less severe, uh, less severe than what we have been experiencing in some ways. And I think that's because a lot of people have got it. I think it's because uh, the vaccine probably has some effect, although that seems like it's real temporary, right? I mean, now the commercials are, I think it's five months. If you've had, uh, you know, I don't know if it does anything with uh, Omicron. And if you've had Moderna or Pfizer, now you got to get your booster shot. They're telling you after five months, or if you had Johnson and Johnson, it's after five minutes, they want you to have a booster shot. If you have that, you just don't even leave. You just keep getting shot up. I think that's what the, did I hear the commercial right? Oh, no, it's two months. Well, it seemed like five minutes is what they said. Um, where's it going to go? Uh, where is this going to eventually uh, go? Here's what an endemic is, okay? Here's kind of what happens with endemic. Uh, there are four options. This is according to Dr. Ellie Murray, uh, who uh, this is her business, okay? In the beginning of any pandemic, we have four options of what could happen continually, occurring disease with smaller, large surges. So this just sort of continues on the way it is, and that would be horrible. Uh, local elimination of disease, global eradication of disease, and complete extinction, extinction of the pathogen. Uh, that's, you know, uh, where you would love it to go. 
and things get there eventually. You know, pretty much, except for in a lab somewhere, uh, is the smallpox uh, vaccine. But we've gotten rid of it, or not the vaccine, the virus. Like it exists, but it's not out there. People aren't really catching it in any significant numbers anymore. Um, option four, extinction, is the hardest, but uh, it means we could forget about the disease. Uh, that's probably not going to happen with uh, COVID-19. Option three, eradication. Um, over time, you can just about forget about it. It'll still be there. This is where smallpox really is. It's eradicated. Um, it still exists, but um, only in high biosecurity labs that have a sample of it, you know, like that one in Wuhan. Uh, they probably, I don't know if they have it there, but, uh, you know, somebody left the door open, right? That That's one of the theories about what happened uh, here with all of that. Uh, option two is elimination, still pretty hard. And you can't really forget about the disease, but it's like measles. It's something that there's great vaccines that really work well, and most people don't really have to worry about the measles, but you still have to monitor for it, uh, she says. Um, Or then there's option one, which is continually occurring disease. It's easier short-term, but it's the hardest long-term, and it can mean anything from hundreds or thousands of people die uh, per year or one or two people die per year. Uh, And that's actually what she says endemic is. So when we talk about endemic, um, endemic is not something that is good. Endemic is just the next stage. And what it means is this, that the it will be a continually occurring disease and it's just always going to be with us and it's vague. It could be affecting us real seriously or it can affect us not very much, but it's still out there, something you got to watch out for. Uh, that's where we're headed. That's where, where things are. Um, with that. I think that's what OSHA means when they put out their statement today that says the agency is prioritizing its resources to focus on finalizing a permanent COVID-19 healthcare standard. Uh, We're getting there. Uh, Whatever it's going to mean, probably it'll be part of your yearly flu shot if you get one of those. Um, And I don't know, in California today, a bill is in the assembly uh, stating that uh, it will have the COVID-19 vaccine will get added to the list of uh, childhood vaccines that you have to have in order to go to public schools. And uh, the governor, Governor Newsom, said that uh, he would like that if there are specific exclusions for belief. That's what he says for belief. He doesn't say religious belief, which I think is interesting, because isn't that the belief that you would have to have? I'm not even sure that that's going to work, you know, unless you're, you know, Christian science or you're, you know, you really have a religious holding that you don't take any sort of uh, medication, most religions don't have that. Uh, but he has belief. Like, what if you believe you're not going to take it? I believe I won't be doing that. Uh, somehow I think that's not going to count. Um, but the what's being proposed actually in Sacramento right now offers uh, no way out. You need a medical exemption, uh, but no exemption at all for any kind of belief whatsoever. Uh, that's what's being proposed. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with that. You're listening to Southern California Live. Number, if you want to join the conversation, is 888 888- Five two eight two five five seven eight 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 fifty two talks L A talks is the number. Uh, another piece of uh, news today: Nancy Pelosi has announced. Ready? Do we have a drum roll? Ready to go? We should have a drum roll. Ready to go? Nancy Pelosi announces her run for re-election. Yes, it has been speculated that uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, will not be running for re-election, and the speculation started because of. Uh, uh, social media posting a while ago that she bought some house in uh, Florida, right in the uh, the global warming flood zone, 
uh, right there on the beach. Uh, turns out that story was phony baloney. That story was not true. She did not buy a house down there. Um, when I read that, I thought, oh, that's probably true. She's going to retire. She's 82 in March, 82 years old, Speaker of the House, 82. Uh, three years older than Biden, actually. And um, she's uh, seven years, I think, seven or eight years younger than our uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, which is a whole other thing, right? Uh, anyway, she didn't buy the house. This is what she said today on Twitter. While we have made progress, much more needs to be done to improve people's lives. This election is crucial. Nothing less is at stake than our democracy. But we don't agonize, we organize. I am running for re-election to Congress to deliver for the people and defend democracy, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, whatever you think of Nancy Pelosi, she is one of the most powerful people ever to hold that office in her political skill. Uh, she's 82, doesn't she? She's got grandkids, she's got family. When do you quit? When do you just give that over to somebody else um, and just eat all the ice cream that's in your fridge and buy that house in Florida and retire? But uh, she's not, she's gonna run again. She'll probably, uh, unless the Republicans take over the house, she will be Speaker of the House again <coughs> in two years. And she's doing it because apparently she thinks she's the only one who can, right? This election is crucial. Nothing is a stake. Politicians do this all the time, both the left and the right. They think that there's nobody else who can do the job, so they better just stay with it. Uh, I don't think that's all that healthy. All right, we will be back here in just a minute. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live, the Tuesday edition, 888-528-2557. If you want to join our conversation, 888-528-2557. I'll be back in just a couple of moments. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Hope that you're doing well on this fine Tuesday afternoon. Did you enjoy the football this weekend? Um, you, you People keep calling it the greatest football weekend in NFL history, which I think might be true unless you're a Bills fan or unless you're a fan of, uh, of the losers, but um, quite, a, quite a weekend. I went to sleep during the Rams game, and uh, it was 27 to, what, 3, I think is what it was. So... I is second half, 27 to three, and I'm like, I don't care if it's Tom Brady, it's over. Uh, that was dumb because I uh, took a little nap in front of the TV on Sunday afternoon, as I tend to do, but especially if I'm uh, recovering from stuff. And uh, I hear as I'm waking up roaring crowds, and I'm going, they're not playing in Los Angeles. Um, and I open my eyes, and it's 27 27. I can't believe it. And, you know, whatever you think of Tom Brady, he is the greatest. He just is. It's just, I should not have gone to sleep. I should have said, no, that score is going to be 27-27. There is no doubt about it. The, the thought crossed my mind. And then I thought, you know, he's 57 years old. He's done. He's, this is his last game, you know, but uh, it's not going to happen. Not the way it worked. Uh, David Ortiz entered into baseball's Hall of Fame uh, today. Good for him. Great ball player, David Ortiz. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens denied entry again. Uh, they are denied entry because they were part of the steroid era. And uh, a lot of question about that, about whether or not they should be uh, people in that era, but particularly those two guys should be in the Hall of Fame. And it's a, it's a tough thing, right? I was thinking about this with some of the uh, Henry Aaron stuff that was going on 
this year because he passed away and then the Braves winning the World Series. That in my mind, in fact, my kids asked me who the best home run hitter was, and the first thing out of my mouth was Hank Aaron. It didn't even occur to me that that's not true. It, I had to remind myself, no, Barry Bonds actually hit the most home runs. Uh, but I think that there is an asterisk even in our brains. I think that's just there. Barry Bonds, I was at a game at Dodger Stadium once where I, I feel like it was a check swing. And he checks his swing, and that ball went flying over the left field wall. And I had a great view of it. I was in the loads level, like the first row there, the great seats that I got on eBay or something. And uh, it just seemed like a check swing, and that ball just flew over the wall. Unbelievable ball player, really, though. And Roger Clemens, one time he was uh, pitching in uh, San Diego in an interleague game. And uh, I said to my uh, late father-in-law, we were just sitting home, and I don't remember where everybody else was. And I said, Roger Clemens is pitching tonight. I said, I've seen Nolan Ryan, and I listed some other people that I've seen. I said, I've never seen Roger Clemens. You want to go? And he said, yeah. And I don't know, he was 85 years old maybe at the time. And we, the only tickets left were nosebleed, but they were behind home plate. And we hiked to the top of Petco Park in San Diego, and we got to see Roger Clemens pitch. Uh, and it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to do that. And uh, it was terrifying because I thought that might be his last day climbing those stairs up there. Uh, but he made it. Uh, he went through it really well. Uh, 888-528-2557. Uh, another big thing that's in the news today is uh, President Biden yesterday uh, had a name that he called uh, Steve Ducey from Fox News, one of the reporters. Uh, I won't play that clip. You've probably heard it a thousand times. And and uh, But this was uh, a clip from Steve, uh, Peter Ducey, not Steve, Peter Ducey. Um, explain what happened afterward. Go ahead, Wilbert. Uh, after years of clips of the president and I kind of mixing it up on the campaign trail and during the transition and here at the White House, uh, within about an hour of that exchange, he called my cell phone and uh, he said, it's nothing personal, pal. And we went back and forth and we were talking about uh, just kind of Moving, moving forward, and I made sure to tell him that I'm always going to try to ask something different than what everybody else is asking. And uh, he said, you've got to. And that's a quote from the president, so I'll keep doing it. Now, I wanted to play that clip because I think if people are out there criticizing one or the other guy, you know, you, you tend to criticize whoever uh, side you're on, right? So if you're a Fox News person, you're like, well, Peter Ducey was just asking a legitimate question. And what the president did was he, the, the microphone was on. I don't know if he knew the mic was on or not, but it's right in front of him. You know, and he, you know, kind of the grumpy Biden way, he goes, uh, you know, inflation. The question was about inflation and how that affects families. The, the event was actually about that. And uh, but the event was over and all the reporters are getting pushed out of the room. And so as reporters do, they were shouting their questions. So, so Ducey asked this question about inflation. And that's a huge issue. Right. Uh, and the president says, you know, oh, yeah, inflation, of course, what a great asset. Then they calls him, you know, um, an SOB is what he calls him, uh, except he, he says it. Right. And it's clear as day. Right. It's not like some faint thing. It's just right there. Uh you know what I thought, though? I thought, you know what? Good for Biden to call him back an hour later. And then they have a conversation. And good for Ducey to have that conversation. And I thought, I want to point this out because this is what should happen in those situations. People say stuff like that all the time. 
Uh, you know, did Donald Trump ever call some reporter who he chewed out or called it one of those names? He called people that all the time. Has he ever called? I don't know. I don't know if he ever did. I never heard about it if he did. So, uh, you know, Biden, good for him to call him up and say, you know, it's not personal. It's probably personal. I mean, honestly, does Biden really want to answer the Peter Ducey uh, questions? Probably not. Um, he's the Fox News guy. Um, but good for Ducey also and uh, just not making a, a deal out of it. I mean, he made a deal out of it. He's on TV, but they kind of laughed about it and they move on. That's something that we've got to be able to do. If we're going to deal with the problems we have in our country and big ones, we have got to be able to get past whatever personal insults there might be or even personal feelings and go back to a time where even people who are fiercely opposed to one another politically, um, even media versus politician or whoever, where we can call an hour later and say, hey, let's talk about what happened. And uh, I thought that was good. I thought that was a good way that that, uh, that ended up. So, and good on both of them, right? Uh, I think you just, I thought that was a positive, positive thing. So I thought I'd share that with you. 888-528-2557. All right, I started talking about violent crime here in uh, Southland. It's really all across the country. I mean, murders are up everywhere. Uh, mayors of, uh, what, 15 of our, our, the top 15 of 18 major cities have seen record-setting murders uh, in the past couple of years. Um, surely some of that has to do with uh, pandemic and we're all kind of going crazy, but some of it has to do with uh, attitudes uh, about crime and different laws that have been passed and different things going on with police, uh, different attitudes. And uh, these mayors are coming together and saying, no, things have got to change. Unfortunately, there are district attorneys who aren't really on that page. We have a couple of those right here in, in uh, California. And uh, both are... Uh, about to get recalled. There's a second recall uh, for District Attorney Gascon. It's starting here in Los Angeles and the District Attorney in San Francisco, which is a mess, by the way. Just It's horrifying what's happening up there in uh, San Francisco right now. Um, a lot of recalls. In San Francisco, they're even recalling school boards. They're recalling all these people. Um, the front page of uh, UK's Daily Mail uh, right now says inside San Francisco's open-air drug market that proves why city's woke effort to connect homeless addicts to rehab is not working and users shoot up and pass out and scatter their needles. And there's video and pictures right on the front page there, um, and it's just not working. Um, what can we do? What can the church do as a part of this? So we look to our politicians and government uh, to help, and there's a role for that with government. Uh, a role for government is to actually have um, a role for government is to do police. Uh, that has always been a role for government. Uh, there is a role for government to deal even biblically, Romans 13. There is a reason that they bear the sword. Okay, that's how God has designed government. God has given authority to different people for different things. He's given authority to parents for their children, which is also a big issue right now where so many people think that the government should be uh, taking care and raising your kids through government schools or other ways. But it's really the role of parents. The church also has a role. The church has a role of discipline, of moral issues. The church has a, has a biblical role here with violent crime and even with drugs and with other things that are going on. The church does play a role. And then, of course, the government has its role uh, as the people that God has put in authority uh, to handle these things. 
It's how culture works, and culture doesn't work when either of those, any of those groups abandon their roles. Did you know that? Did you know that that's one of the biggest things that causes culture to fall apart is when the government, government doesn't govern in the areas where it's supposed to govern. Romans 13, 1, let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established, and the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This isn't saying that everything the government does is right, or that all of our policies is right, but they are the ones who have to do it. But so does the church. Let me ask you something. Does your church get involved in your community or in communities where there is a lot of violence going on or a lot of crime or a lot of drugs? Are you involved at the local school? Are there people who reach out to people who are homeless, not to just sort of enable them to keep doing the things that keep them homeless, but to help those who want to be helped? What are some things maybe that your church is doing? Love to hear what your, you guys are doing. 888-528-2557 is the phone number. 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. There's some horrific stories out there um, in Studio City. Uh, story is that um, people came and they actually zip-tied a kid uh, outside and then went inside and ransacked the house. They were just, dad and the kid were just putting out their trash. And uh, some people tied up the kid and the dad outside. At least they didn't kill him, which we're seeing so often. And then they went inside and just robbed the house. Uh, this is happening more and more often. I think it's just a breakdown of society in general, a breakdown in lawlessness in society in general. And this is because we're advocating the roles. Government is advocating its roles, advocating its roles, the established by God roles. Parents are advocate, uh, abdicating their roles, and uh, the church is also in leadership. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to join the conversation. I'm Scott Furrow. This is the Tuesday edition of Southern California Live. I'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow here. Great to be with you. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-LA-TALKS is the phone number if you want to join our conversation. Just finishing up on some stories in the news, and um, I've asked the question, what are some things that we can do even as a church to deal with violent crime? Uh, how do you feel about it? Are you feeling unsafe or less safe than you used to feel uh, right here in Southern California, 888 528 Seven. I want to tell you a story here. I'll tell you in just a minute. I want to miss the fact that this other story, these stories that just come up sometimes, right? But a, did you hear about this? That in Pennsylvania, a, a truck carrying a bunch of monkeys that were headed to the CDC because they've all been infected with something crashed. Four of the monkeys got out, but there's one that's still wandering around somewhere. And they're warning people to not come in contact. And some woman actually did come in contact with the monkeys. She thought they were cats. And apparently, you know, I can imagine where they would look like cats until you got up close. Uh, and they started hissing at her and uh, throwing some stuff around, as monkeys do, if you know what I mean. And uh, she's apparently not feeling well, but they're not really saying what it is that they have been injected with. 
And I think that's troubling. I'd kind of like to know. You know, is it, <laughs> what is it that's going around uh, in uh, Pennsylvania with uh, some monkey that's out there? Reminds me of that movie, Outbreak. Did you ever watch that movie? Uh, it's with Dustin Hoffman, and uh, it's about a town that has this terrible outbreak of some kind of Ebola. And uh, very interesting movie a long time ago. Or 12 Monkeys, that's another one. Don't watch the, the newer stuff. But there's an old one with Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis. Uh, those movies have a whole different feel to them since we've been under this pandemic anyway. Uh, if you happen to be listening on our podcast or online and you are somewhere in the area of Pennsylvania and you see a monkey, uh, don't pick it up. Don't go say hi. Uh, call uh, call the police. Do that. All right, so we've been talking about uh, – somebody's really worried now about the, the monkeys out there. I don't know. It's not, I think we've seen too many movies where we just feel like, oh, it's doomsday because of this. I think everybody will be okay, but – it's an interesting story. All right, better story. I want to leave you with this thought, um, maybe of something encouraging. I want to be careful because I don't want to uh, expose some things that people are doing. But one of the blessings that I've had in ministry in the last few years is I've been able to be involved with some ministries that are dealing with uh, violent crime and ministries to people who commit violent crime, and uh, mainly gangs. Uh, maybe we're not allowed to say that word. The governor, when he was touring the train site. Remember he got, he said, talk about these gangs who are uh, attacking the trains. And then he apologized for saying gangs. I don't get it actually why he can't say that. There must be some political correct thing and I've just missed it. I didn't get the memo. I still don't understand it. Um, but uh, then he said groups of people, which is pretty much it. I mean, gang, gang can be positive or negative, right? It's a, it's a term that just means a kind of a group of people with a common purpose, okay? The people who write Mad Magazine refer to themselves as the usual gang of idiots. And yes, Mad Magazine is still around. Um, but what I'm talking about are, are gangs, the, the type of uh, neighborhood gangs that uh, happen, in particularly in our poor neighborhoods. And I got involved in this ministry because um, one of my best friends was the head trauma nurse at a hospital where they will take gunshot victims. And they needed to get a couple of guys made as chaplains so that they could get into the hospital and go right into the trauma ward and speak to uh, people who in particular are dealing with gang violence who have just been shot. And so a couple of pastors who, uh, one of them, he used to be in a gang himself, went to prison, got saved in prisons. Great story. Another one with another great story. They are now chaplains, and I helped in that process. And what they do is they can go right into the hospital, and if somebody in there is shot, they've got two things on their mind. One of them is, am I going to die right now? And so they can share the gospel right there on the table uh, in case they're going to die. They need to know Jesus, and uh, the great thing about grace and the gospel is that that person, just like the thief on the cross, can go to heaven if they truly accept Christ. But the other reason that they're in there is because if they're not going to die, then typically what is on their mind is when I get out of here, I'm going to go kill the guy who just did this to me, and they want to talk him out of it, and they want to use that opportunity to say, this is when you leave uh, this lifestyle. And because of that, I got into... Uh, several different uh, groups that deal with gang violence, including they work with uh, gang units with the police, they work with the mayor's office, they work with many churches, many churches in our inner cities. This is a big part of their their ministry. Um, 
you know, something I realized that is frustrating in any big city, in Los Angeles, in Orange County, in the cities, areas, in San Diego, is there is a division that's not very far away as the crow flies, but a group of people in churches who have no idea how to help or how to serve churches that are really in the middle of the violence that's out there. And I know many of you listening, you, you know exactly what I mean. I think people are motivated. I think there's not a path. I think that uh, there's a lot of tensions involved. There's a lot of church stuff involved. Uh, there's a lot of reasons that's really hard. And, you know, I'm somebody who talks for a living, and I talk for uh, two hours on a radio program, and I give sermons, and I talk. And I've been to so many meetings where I feel like I just have nothing to say and everything to learn. And one of the things I got to go to was a meeting where when people who have been in gangs get released from prison, the purpose of this ministry is to help them not go back into gangs, to help them actually get into uh, a regular life, get a job, and they teach life skills, and they teach, you know, here's, they help with resumes, and they really help people who often have no help, or they have no family, they don't have uh, loved ones other than the gang, you know, their loved ones are the people that they've uh, been in a gang with for a long time, that's part of, you know, the the attraction of that. The ministry is to help people get out. So people will stand up and give testimony. So I'm in a room. I might be the only person in there who has never shot somebody or been shot. No kidding. That's absolutely true. This guy gets up, and he starts to tell this story. And the story he tells is this. He says, you know, before I was saved, I was uh, gangbanging, and he tells a story. And uh, he says, I got shot, and I got shot in the back of the head. He says, I don't know who did it. And uh, when I got out of the hospital, uh, my entire goal was to figure out who did it. And I'm just going to make up a name here, okay? But he said, the person who shot me, I heard a rumor that the person who shot me was Jimmy from 8th Street. So I'm looking for Jimmy from 8th Street. I don't know if he exists or not, but people have told me he's probably the guy. Well, I never find him. He says, eventually, though, I go back to prison for uh, something else. And I'm in jail. And he says, and I've got my celly, his cellmate. He says, and my Sally and I were talking about things that we've done, and we're laughing about different different things. And we're, we're basically, he says, you're not a Christian at the time. And he hadn't found the Lord yet. And he says, they're talking about things that they've done before. And he suddenly realizes that my cellmate, my Sally, is Jimmy from 8th Street. He's the guy who shot me in the back of the head because he tells that story, how he shot some guy, and he gets totally away with it. And he says, as he's telling the story, I realize well, I got to kill him. He's right here. And I start to think to myself about, am I willing to, uh, you know, take the, take the sentence for that? You know, I'm going to get caught. I will probably do life, all this stuff. He says, I'm, I'm dealing with all this while he's telling me the story and he's laughing about it. And I'm the guy he shot. And he goes in the middle of my thoughts, I decided, you know what? I've shot people and they don't know I've shot them. So what he says. So I decided to forgive him what he said. And so he tells him, he says, Hey, I'm the guy you shot. And he says, bro, I forgive you. And they had a laugh and they had a hug and they became friends. And he said, I learned something that day. I learned about the power of forgiveness because I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I learned that it just didn't seem to make sense for me to hold this grudge. He said, and then while I'm in prison, I hear the gospel for the first time about Jesus Christ and how he didn't hold a grudge against me and how he died in my place. He says, I totally understood that. I totally understood what forgiveness was and the forgiveness that I got from Christ. 
And then he just shared his testimony about how he grew in his faith, how he tried to lead his celly to Christ, the guy who had shot him. It's the, one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. One of the great, it's hard to even believe that story. What are the odds of that? But this is the God that we have. This is the God that we serve. This is what grace is. This is what forgiveness is. This is what Christian leadership is. And I'm telling you that story because there's all these stories that are horrible in our cities of violence, random violence. Uh, They are sad. It's getting worse at the moment. And I think that when I ask the question, you know, what do we do? I think sometimes we feel like we don't know what to do. One of the things I want you to know is that there are people right here in Los Angeles, right in San Diego, right here in Orange County and everywhere else, Christian people who through their church or through a ministry that they're a part of or just through wherever God has called them to serve, that they're right in the thick of it. They are right there. And they are preventing a lot of violent crime. So as much as what's happening, you know, the guys who I know, who I admire, who are working, they have prevented and continue to prevent a lot. And a lot of people come to Christ. And, you know, my friends, it's the answer. And God is working and God is doing miraculous things in our city to help people move away from a life of violence. And he's using people just like you and me. I mean, I haven't done a whole lot personally, but the fact that he brought me into it and uh, I've been able to help here and there, I'm just so blessed that I've been able to be used in this way. And that I know Christian people, pastors and just people who go to churches here who are in tough neighborhoods and tough places, who are risking their lives, quite literally risking their lives to be on the scene at the invitation of police very often, by the way where there has been shootings or where there has been the threat of shootings and they're talking people down and they're sharing the gospel and they're loving people who desperately need to know the love of Christ and people are getting saved from that. Be encouraged with that. That's happening in our town. Pray for those people. Even if you have no idea who they are, pray for them and pray that our churches would do more, that we would learn to do more, that we would get past the hurdles that exist that keep us from being involved here. The church has a big role to play when we think about crime in our city, um, and we can do a whole lot more. All right, I'm out of time uh, for now. This is Southern California Live. I want to encourage you before we go, if you want to get an hour of this program, go to kkla.com. The podcast will be posted there uh, very soon. And uh, you can go to kkla.com in Los Angeles or kprz.com in San Diego and check out a lot of other things that are going on, some events where you can get together, some other ways of being inspired for what Jesus' church is doing right here in Southern California. I'm Scott Furrow. It's my pleasure to be your host this afternoon. I'll be back with you again tomorrow. God bless you. Have a great evening. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.